each day anew, God testifies to all people on this earth about his greatness. He is testifying his glory to this world, to his children and to those who do not profess faith in him alike. Romans 1 testifies to this, says the invisible attributes of God are plain. They're simple. They are clear so that they are without excuse that God exists and that he is great and that he is worthy of our worship. God alone. Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. time in your life when things are stressed and when things are pushed to the limit and sometimes you're squeezed and sometimes you feel like there's no way out or sometimes you feel depressed because of your circumstances in life or because of other stresses. Perhaps you're just depressed. The Lord is still good. The Lord is still gracious and merciful. And the Lord looks on each one of us with this incredible love and compassion because the Lord is good. And the Lord our God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. The Lord our God is constant when we turn aside to the right or to the left, when we get distracted, when we get lazy, whatever it is, the Lord is still faithful to his covenants. He is faithful to his promises. His word never fails. This is our God. This is our God. And going through a deep trial in my life, right now, and I'm still in it. The Lord is good. I can tell you, I can proclaim to you, the Lord is good. Do I see how the Lord will lead me through this? Do I see how the Lord will lead me out of this? This is not, does not have anything to do with sin. It is a trial that I must endure and that I must persevere through. 
and I will do it by the Lord's grace and by the Lord's mercy. And because I know that the Lord is good and the Lord is faithful. And if you are also going through something right now, I want you to be encouraged and hold fast to our God who does not change like shifting shadows, who does not change like the cultural tides in this world, who does not change like the, whatever the headlines are in the news. No, our God is not like that. He is so much better and so much more constant. Our God is faithful. You may have noticed I'm also a little raspier today, and please bear with me as I press through this as well for the glory of God. Let's open in prayer. Lord, of the Hebrews become the Israelites through the wanderings in the Old Testament. Lord, you call people, you choose people. Through the later Old Testament and into the New Testament and in the land, the promised land, you have brought your people and you have told them that you will be their God and they will be your people. And today, Lord, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the gates are wide open to any who would surrender their heart to you that they could become a child of God. Because now your choosing is wide open, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles who profess the name of Christ, the Christians. God, we are so thankful that you are so loving and so giving and so generous, so kind. When we did not deserve kindness, you showed kindness. When we did not deserve mercy, you show mercy. When we did not deserve forgiveness, you showed forgiveness. Thank you, God, for doing everything that we needed because we could not do any of it before you. You were so good to us, God. Open your word to us now. Speak to us through the Holy Spirit that we might learn from you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please open with me to Genesis 24. We start today in verse 50. Let me back up one verse. Abraham's servant had just testified to Rebekah's family of the whole story, his commission from Abraham, his conversation with Rebekah at the well, and then as he was received to her family. The servant closes by saying, Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, meaning Abraham, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, This thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. 
and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us for a while, at least ten days after that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Then the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Consistent throughout all of this, the servant has been very, very intentional and focused. He is about his commission. Once he received it from Abraham and he's carried it all along. He's carried it all along the way. All across the wilderness. All the way to the well, all the way into the house. And still, and still, it's burning in his heart. He has been commissioned. He wants to fulfill the mission. He wants to carry out the mission. It's almost the mentality of Paul, the Apostle Paul. What do you see throughout his letters? What do you see throughout his his words, his description, his narrative? You see passion and you see consistency. I see passion, at least that's the prominent The scripture, the the prominent adjective that I have for Paul is his passion. He knows what he is called to do from the Lord, that God has entrusted him with the gospel of Jesus Christ when he met him on the road, when he blinded his eyes to get his attention. He said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul responds, who are you, Lord? Interesting, he uses the descriptor of Lord there because he knows. He says, it is I, Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And then the Lord transforms the life of Paul. He takes his passion that he had to persecute the followers of the way, to persecute those who were believers in Jesus Christ. And he transforms that when he converts him to faith in Christ. But the passion continues. But now the passion is for the sake of Christ. And therefore, he is passionately led by Christ with the gospel of Christ for the purposes of Christ to carry out the gospel of Christ being proclaimed throughout region after region after region after region. 
He is being faithful to his commission. Let's go back here with the servant. And the servant echoes that in verse 49. He says, to Rebecca's family, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, that's their direct relative, Abraham. Tell me, and if not, tell me. He's saying, this thing is from the Lord. The Lord has shown steadfast love and faithfulness. If you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness, if you are going to trust that this thing is from the Lord, because this thing is from the Lord, tell me. Verse 50. Then Laban, Rebekah's brother, and Bethuel, her father, answered and said, This thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. They do not offer their opinion. They respond in faith that this is from the Lord. They, they respond in humility because this thing is from the Lord. Verse 51, behold, Rebecca is before you. Again, in faith, take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. See, they bookend it that it's from the Lord. It's like the servant's faith. It's like the servant's prayers to the Lord. It's like where the servant went to seek success for the journey. When he arrives at the well, he's seeking success from the Lord. Please grant me success today. He is praying that to God. And the family now, at least her brother and her father, are responding in faith that this is from the Lord. And says, as the Lord has spoken. Look at what they say. They're not claiming their own rights to Rebecca as their sister and their daughter. Or that she is of their family or... How can we simply let her go with you just because you came to us this one day and said these things? No. Their focus is heavenward. They're worshiping the Lord in their hearts. And therefore, they can answer with the straightforward words, take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son. As the Lord has spoken. See, it's not their human or their selfish desires which are ruling the day right here. Because in their selfish and their human desires, they would want her not to go. This servant came in one day. Why would they respond and say, sure, take her and go? That, that wouldn't make sense from a human, worldly perspective. But it's not their opinions on the matter either. It's a recognition of the Lord's sovereignty in all things. It's a heart of worship that the Lord has planned this. And the Lord has brought the servant here to their house, specifically to Rebecca, and that this is for his purposes. And what is the response of Abraham's servant to Laban and Bethuel? Verse 52, 
When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. His response was worship. Because the servant knows that as God is leading, he wants to follow. As God is leading again, he wants to follow again. Because his focus is the Lord. Because he knows that as the family responds, even it will be because of, for the purposes of, unto the worship of the Lord. Verse 53. The servant brings out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He had already given a gold ring and gold bracelets to her earlier. And now he brings out more. He had an abundance with him, apparently. And this shows that Abraham's family, just like Rebekah, had already shown great generosity to the servant, to the men who were with him, to the camels. Laban had run out from the house and he had also offered their home for the night in a spirit of generosity. The servant had witnessed that they were a family that was generous. And he is showing too now, Abraham's family is also generous by giving great gifts to Rebekah, to Laban, and to her mother. So one generous family is now being joined with another generous family in this. Then continuing in verse 54, the servant leads here with the propriety of asking Rebekah's family the next morning to be sent back to Abraham. He asks her, instead of just taking her and leaving, he asks meaning he was asking for confirmation, their confirmation of what they had told him the night before to take her and to go. The servant, passionate about what was before him, was eager to be about finalizing his commission, to carrying it out. Just because he was there, just because he had found her, just because he had received a family's blessing, didn't mean the commission was yet fulfilled. The servant was to bring her and all with him back home to the land of Canaan, back to Abraham, back to Isaac. There was still a long ways to go, and the servant was prioritizing his commission. He says, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother say something new here in verse 55. This is different. This creates a tension that wasn't there yet. A selfish desire. And even among those of the faith, there, there can be tension in surrendering our personal desires unto God. It seems that Rebecca's family, while quick to say just the day before that the servant should take her and go, as the Lord has spoken, they said that, as the Lord has spoken, now they petition that the servant delay so that they can have at least 10 more days with her together now. And multiple commentaries that I've read regarding this translation here, this phrasing, suggests that the original meaning of the text can be much longer. It could have been months, once said up to one year. Let her stay. 
Let her remain. Let the young woman. This is interesting. Let the young woman is the phrasing that the family now uses. Not let Rebecca, not let she, her. Let the young woman, putting the emphasis on she is so young, it would seem. Let the young woman remain with us a while, a while, a period of time. More than a brief moment, more than today. More than today. Perhaps let us have today or let us have this afternoon and then you could take her and go as we have said. No, they don't say that. Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. As though they were dictating the parameters for their allowance of the servant to carry out his commission. For the allowance of her to be united with Isaac in the family of Abraham to carry on the covenant of God in the place that the Lord had brought Abraham's family to take possession of it. This family is now standing in the gap, but not in a good way. Let's compare that to what they said just the night before in verses 50 and 51. They said, this thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. They were not going to offer even their own thoughts on the matter. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. Again, bookending it is how they phrase that. This is from the Lord as the Lord has spoken. The first response that the family had right there was one of immediate faith in God. Acceptance of what the servant's commission was for the fulfillment of what it was to find her and to bring her back to Isaac. And the focus in their response was that this was from the Lord. This is good. This is from the Lord. This is good. The second response here in verse 55. It's a change request. But even more than request, it's almost, they're saying this is the way it is going to be if you're asking us to send you away, if you're asking us to be the ones to grant permission. This is now a change request for the young woman to remain with us for a period of time, we'll call it, and after that, comma, she may go. See how the weight of these two responses contradict each other. There is a weight in both of them. Think of it on a scale. There is a weight in what they say in each, but for two very different purposes, for two very different reasons. One other item of note here is looking at the text in the first, the faith-filled response in verse 51, it is Laban, her brother, and her father mentioned who reply. In the latter response in verse 55, it is Laban, her brother, and her mother. But we can derive because Laban is mentioned in both, 
that the whole family is there at the time of both, that it is the desire of the family in both. So now, as the servant is asking for his team of camels and men to be sent back to Abraham, along with Rebekah, in fulfillment of the commission, her family's tension in letting her go is not just a delay of simply letting Rebekah go off on the journey back to Abraham's family to be married to Isaac, but it's caught in their own words. Look at verse 50 again. They said, this thing has come from the Lord. Take her and go. So what they're now delaying is the, quote, thing from the Lord, that this is from the Lord, the Lord's leading, the Lord's guiding, the Lord's mission for the Lord's fulfillment of the Lord's mission, this thing from the Lord. And the servant makes this clear too when he says, look at verse 56. But the servant said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Again, his focus, send me away that I may go to my master. The servant focused on the Lord, that it is the Lord who has led him, the Lord who gave him success, the Lord who will lead him back to Abraham, to his home with Rebekah in their company. And this is where we too often fall short, isn't it? We hear the Lord in something. We read it in his word. We, we see the Lord in something. We're walking with him. And then we take our eyes off him. We start thinking about our own desires. We start thinking about ourselves. We start thinking about our our material consequences. We start thinking about it in terms of the tangible, what we see, what we touch down here on earth, this experience. Our eyes are not heavenward on the Lord anymore. What did Peter do on the boat? From Matthew 14, starting in verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, the disciples had gone off, gone out on the boat and Jesus had stayed behind on shore. In the fourth watch of the night, that would be between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Yes, there had been a storm on the lake all night. And Jesus came to the disciples walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. When he saw the wind. When you're looking at the wind, you're not looking at Jesus. Peter had taken his eyes off Jesus and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The difference between eyes off and eyes on. Eyes off and you drift. Eyes off and you sink. Eyes off and you get distracted. Eyes off and you start settling in dark places. You start settling or at least spending your time on the things of this world. You start spending your time and your thoughts on the petty, worthless things of this world, which God clearly defines as sin or opposition to him. Eyes on the Savior. Eyes on the Word of God. Now you're focused. Verse 57. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. After the servant had said, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send us off. Send me away. But the family here makes another appeal for her to remain. Though some would say it would be a prudent measure, of course, to ask the one who's directly involved, Rebecca, if she wants to go, if she will go. But it seems like the language here is that the family is now asking her, hoping that she's going to echo their sentiment for her to remain for a while, to pause what the servant has been commissioned. But they just last night affirmed for her to go. They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And then perhaps the most profound words of today's text, she said, I will go. Despite their hesitations, once Rebecca has stated her decision in faith, her family sends her off in peace. Verse 59, so they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. Their family was not poor. If they had a nurse for Rebecca already, or at least a woman of the household, specifically to send with her, and then we will read, there was more than just one woman that they sent in the care of Rebecca. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, May her offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women, multiple, arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. The language in the family's blessing is very similar, and you may have recognized it. After Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, and the Lord stopped him. Genesis 22, starting in verse 17. The Lord says to Abraham, I will surely bless you. 
and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. May your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. May you become thousands of ten thousands. Some commentaries say that that was a common blessing at the time. May your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. But I think in some way, the Lord was specifically at work. Even in the family's blessing, the family was a family of faith, but they were being stalled in their selfishness. They were being stalled in their thoughts and their opinions. It's the opposite of what they said on the first night, that we cannot speak to you bad or good. But then they were. Well, let's look back for a moment at the connecting narrative here and celebrate the good. Back in verse 4, Abraham commissions his servant to go, that God will send an angel ahead of him. In verse 9, the servant swears to Abraham concerning this matter. In verse 12, the servant arrives to Nahor and asks God to grant him success because of his love for Abraham. Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, Rebekah arrives and fulfills what the servant had just prayed. Verse 26, the servant bows his head and worship the Lord. In verses 34 through 49, the servant testifies that it is the Lord who led him here, and it is for the Lord which he is here. Then in verse 50, Laban and Bethuel first say, This thing has come from the Lord. Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. In verse 52, the servant bowed himself before the Lord. And in verse 58, Rebecca says, I will go. Faith, faith, faith. Do I think Rebecca loved her family? So much that in her heart and in many ways, her family is all she had ever known. Do, do I think that she had these natural desires to stay with them for at least a period of time? Maybe longer? Yes. That's natural. But we're not talking about what is common or what is natural. No, what is vividly clear here in her unrestrained reply when asked directly by her family is that her love for God was greater. She doesn't put conditions on it like her family was then trying to do on, on the morning when the servant asked to be sent away with Rebecca. She doesn't drag her feet. She doesn't ask even for time to think about it. She lives her life like she did at the well. Quickly and with faith. And that 
though something may be common to the traditions of matchmaking in her time, she would not let her faith be imprisoned by even if that was common practice. That though her family didn't want her to go, she would not let that affect God being glorified with her decision. I'm not saying what we wrestle with in our lives is the same. It's not, per se. But we do wrestle every day with God being glorified in our lives. We're at war with the flesh. We're at war with the the flesh in our mind. We're at war with the flesh in our heart. We're at war with the flesh in our body. It's in competition with our other desires to glorify God. Some are very common and some are specifically sinful in and of themselves. But when any of these desires compete with God, yes, they are sinful because they are in competition or I will say opposition with God. God first, God most, and God in all things. Jesus above everything. God is the only one who is worthy. Rebecca was called within a single day, answering God in faith. Abraham was called by God back in chapter 12, and he answered God in faith. Abraham was led by God, and at this time in chapter 24, he's living in a land that God had said his descendants would later possess the promised land, but Abraham did not see that day. He did not see the day when his descendants would possess it and take possession of it in fulfillment of God's promise. He believed it because God had told him it would come to pass. Rebecca left her family and everything she had known until that point to journey across the wilderness to a land she had never known, which had become her home, to marry someone she had never met because she trusted God in faith. In faith, in faith, in faith. We cannot see him now, but we love him. We cannot physically reach out with our hand and touch God's hand. But we trust him in faith. And this faith is to carry over and to spill over into every single area of our life, every single category of your life, every single aspect of your life. And each day anew, there may be something new for the Lord to take lordship over in your life. The trials that you're walking through, the trials that you feel pinned down by, 
in the eyes of this world, and they may seem insurmountable, or it may be small and not insurmountable. It may be in the eyes of the world trivial, but it's not to God. He wants to be on the throne in every single area of your life and of my life so that he is glorified. Think about this. When something is presented to you and it would look foolish in the eyes of the world, it may mean everything that the Lord wants you to do. You may be defining your life by the way that the world defines success or by that the, the way that the world defines a man to live his life or a woman to live her life. But that means nothing compared to what God asks of a man and a woman in his word. God defines a man and a woman. Well, frankly, by Genesis 2, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and that we are made after his image in his image, after his likeness, and the call for us is to glorify him. Your success in life is if you repent of your sin, surrender your selfish desires, your human desires, and glorify your God. Have no regard for what the world defines as a man's success or a woman's success in this life. We need to live our lives by the word of God, for the glory of God. And that when something is presented to us, which is undeniably from God, let us not be restrained, even by our family, if they are standing opposed to God in that. Because God calls us to have him on the throne in each thing and in everything for his glory. And your joy will then be insurmountable because your joy will be in the joy giver, because your joy will be in the one who is most joyful. God alone. Let's pray. The one who leads and guides. The one who sets commissions and sets missions. The one who has called us out from this world to live a holy life, holy lives, righteous lives that our pursuit would not be success in the eyes of this world, but rather pursuing our God and pursuing your call to righteousness. Because God, you are the righteous one. And our focus is on you. Our gaze is on you. Jesus, when you called Peter out of the boat, like he may our gaze be on you to walk on the water and to continue walking on the water with our focus on you so that we reach 
you because we never took our gaze off of you. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy when we fall to give us an undying passion for you and you alone. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Join me next time for the conclusion of Genesis 24.